Hey, Dan, should I do what I want to do or what God wants me to do? How's that for a setup? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we got a hot topic today. You know, it's one that I hear, I mean, just over and over and over again. It's this decision, thinking there's a choice between, gee, do I just want to do what I want to do, or should I do what God wants me to do? Well, we're going to unpack that some today. Now, we're not going to have all the answers, but I'm going to present some things that will help you stimulate your own thinking in this area. So you can be sure that you're on the right path. Well, stick around. We're going to do that. Well, it was prompted by a question I set up last week, and I'm going to read that question again in just a second here. But here's some of the kind of basic questions that I receive around this topic. How can I build a name for myself without being egotistical? Dan, I love to sell real estate, but I feel like I should be doing something more godly. If God has a calling and purpose for me, does that mean I have to be a pastor or a missionary? I feel guilty because the work I'm most passionate about is not godly. Now, those are some of the questions that I get over and over and over again. Now, I don't claim to be a theologian or a pastor, but um, because of my own worldview, I love digging into these kind of questions that are more spiritual and philosophical, so it's all not about just doing work where you make money. No, when I talk about doing work that matters for people who cares, it does involve these things. But we're going to go back to some familiar territory. We're going to go look again at how you blend passion, talent, and money, how those have to be part. You can't be missing any of those. And it very much relates to this question about trying to do something because you think it's godly to do it when you don't have passion for it, but have passion for something else. Nah, you're in the wrong track. Well, hey, let's, here's our quotation for today. Now we're going to use, because this is more spiritual, I'm going to use a biblical reference for our quotation. It comes from Matthew 5.16. It says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now we have a resource for you. Now, let me kind of set this up. I'm going to go through some feedback that I got because I put the question out to you, the listeners got tons of feedback about why you think your work is godly. And we heard from people who are doctors and veterinarians and real estate people and photographers and coaches and speakers, lots of people who do have the confidence that what they're doing is in fact honoring God even though it may not be pastor, teacher, missionary, evangelist, or whatever. Well, our resource, if you go to 48dayseagles.com slash make it happen, I know it's a little lengthy. I'll give you that again, and we'll put it in the show notes, but it's 48dayseagles.com slash make it happen. We've got a resource there with three parts. Now, in that, I'll I'll tell you at the end what those three parts are, but it relates very much to what we're going to be talking about today. And then I'm going to give you a three-part assignment so you can get clarity 
on this issue once and for all for yourself. Well, it's not once and all for all ever. It's an ongoing process, but a three-part assignment that'll give you the confidence that what you're doing right now is in fact the most honorable, godly, productive, profitable thing you can be doing. And I'm going to give you four resources that I'm going to recommend. And then we're going to end today, wherever that is time-wise, we're going to end with a really powerful poem from St. Teresa and a song that you're not going to forget. Beautiful, beautiful song that you're not going to forget. So last week we had some questions that related to using creative skills for ministry. Some great examples about what people are doing, you know, sculptors, painters, artists, musicians, others, some great questions, not only questions, but examples from people of things they are doing. But I had this question from Manisa and I read it last week. And then I went back and contacted her, and I'll tell you about that as well. But she says, Dan, I am Marisa, Manisa, a young girl who has always dreamed to become an artist because of her passion for art, music, dance, literature, and so on, and her gifts. Also, I have struggled with a lot of doubts and fear about God's character. I think God is a tyrant who just wants to command us rather than understand our state of mind. I've been reading some text on your site, and I felt glad to find out that both of us have the same mindset and purpose in life, that we should work hard for our dreams, and that God will not be mad if we don't choose, quote, godly career in ministry, if, or if we are ambitious. My question is more about glory to self versus glory to God. As someone who wants a secular career in art, I feel held back by the thought that I am working to get my name out there to build a fan base for my advantage, develop strategies for my business. If I wanted to do religious art, I would be more at peace knowing that my art is for God's fame and not mine. But even though I know that God is the master of everything, so why give him glory? I still struggle when it comes time to create opportunities for myself. I feel like God would not support my entertainment art business just because his name is not obviously praised. And I feel like working to build my brand is selfish, self-glory. I feel really frustrated. And even after reading different types of opinions on that, I still feel held back. Thank you. Just to let me share that with you. I hope you can answer. Tell me what you think about that self-glory thing. Monisa. Well, I reached out to her and I said, golly, I want to know more about you. What are you doing now? How old are you? Where are you from? So she wrote back. She says, my name is Monisa. I'm 20 years old. I live in Montreal, Canada. I do a lot of work on creating stuff at home and at my school, my passion. I sing and dance a lot. I love hip hop music and I'm constantly creating new choreos on popular songs or making beats, adding lyrics, rhythms to them. I also love to write. I either write for fun, creating stories or novels, or I write by necessity, which means I'm putting my word in words my deep thoughts, my emotions, etc. Whatever I do, I want to keep it real, I want to be myself, to say things that I mean, to do things that I love. So because I do not want to be a gospel or Christian artist, I've been persecuted by the thought that if I was just going to be a secular artist, I was not going to make God happy because that career brings glory, let's say recognition to me and not to the gospel. That mindset really held me back in the past and still does today. I sometimes feel guilty for that desire to do what I want and not what God supposedly wants. 
That's a good phrase right there. Is what God wants different than what you want? Well, thank you so much. I'll go and check the schedule for the podcast. I told her I'd be answering that. I'd be dealing with that today. So I took her input and I put a question up in the 48 Days Eagles community. My work honors God because blank. Well, (laughs) it took about five minutes for responses to come rolling in and they did. So I'm going to share, I mean, I'm going to share the wisdom of people in the 48 Days Eagles community is really what it amounts to. So it's not just all coming from Dan. This is wisdom of the community, and it is deep and profound. And people people dug in. So I've just got a, just got a couple here that I want to share. This came from Edwin Solar, and it, just a great overview. He says, my work honors God because it is him who put this burning desire to be a coach and help others reach their dreams and break out of the ruts they may be in. By just doing my life's calling without even mentioning God at all, he is glorified because he shines through everything I do. So Manisa, simply let God guide you and shine through your talents. And when someone says something to praise you, don't shy away from it. The Bible says that we should do work in such a way that even if a heathen were to accuse you, they would still see God's work through you and glorify God. In 1 Peter 2.12, he puts in there, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. I see your heart is in this, but your mindset is interfering with your calling. Edwin continues, you are literally missing the mark by 18 inches. That's the distance between your heart and your mind. Let your heart glorify God and don't let your mind tell you otherwise. Don't put a bowl over your light. Show your art to the world. If God put it in you, it's because the world needs to see it. I wish you the best. Golly, I love that response, Edwin. I mean, right there, that is really good coaching, good counsel and advice for Manisa. And I know she'll appreciate it. Well, Dustin says, my work honors God because I'm using the gifts he gave me to improve the lives of his children. I make portraits and albums to help families remember a point in time of their lives. I help small businesses and real estate agents reach more customers so they can serve more people. And I diligently restore old photographs so families can remember the loved ones that they have lost. Callie, and he went on from there. But great input, Dustin. Well, thank you. As a photographer, the things that he's doing, he's confident the work that he's doing honors God. Valerie says, I used to feel the way Manisa does. Some of that for me came from a scarcity and black and white mindset. The first thing the Lord showed me was since we are created in the image of God, who is a creator, we also have the ability to create in many different ways, and it's a good thing. Valerie says, I used to teach my girls that we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. In recent years, this has been more my conviction. In the same way, and she uses what I used as our quote for today, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, she goes on from there, I now feel that as followers of God, going for a bigger life and greater exposure is a way for us to bring more attention to God. We live in the all things are possible mentality, and that brings greater impact that we can have for the kingdom. Well, Giovanna, Lady J. Ellison 
says we are called to be good stewards of the gifts and talents God has placed in our hands. Now, that's going to be a really recurring theme here, Manisa, and for all the rest of you listening. If you have a talent in a particular area, you have the responsibility to share that. You know, there's a section, well, see if I can find it here. There's a section in um, Jeff Goins' book. Yeah, and it's going to be one of the books I reference, Real Artists Don't Starve. He says, this is the rule of the gift, which says that if your art is your duty, then you must create the nature of the gift. So if you have a gift, it is to be given away. So the first duty of an artist is to do your work. There's a spirit of generosity in every creative act, but to embody this generosity, we cannot starve. We must be creating with full bellies and full souls. And so the second duty of an artist is to make money to make art. Well, that's kind of gone off on a tangent as well, but you know, we don't need to be embarrassed about making money from what we do using the talents that God has given us. Real artists don't starve. That's one of the things I'm going to be recommended. Well, Giovanna says, we are called to be good stewards of the gifts and talents God has placed in our hands. This is an opportunity for the classic scripture of the parable of the talents to be shared with this young lady. So in Matthew 25, it talks about the parable of the talents, and we're all familiar with that. Somebody was given 10. He went out and doubled it. Somebody was given five. He went out and doubled it. Somebody was given one. And that dude buried it in a bucket under his bed somewhere, I guess, and kept it because he was afraid that he might lose it. Well, when the master came back, he complimented the guy who had doubled, had 10 and doubled it. He said, because you've done it, I'm going to give you a whole lot more because you've proven yourself to be responsible using your talent. And of course, the guy who had one and just kept it got a harsh, harsh reprimand from the master represented as Jesus or God in the story. And he said, you know, you're wicked, you're lazy, all kinds of harsh adjectives given to the poor guy because he had done nothing with his talent. Now, a friend of mine here in town, Mike Zeller, just a, a recent member, new member of my mastermind. Mike is a young guy. He's got a master's in Christian education. So he came out and he thought, wow, I'm really called to do this, you know, church thing. So he got a job with the church. He was there and he just felt like he wasn't doing anything effective. And he became, he heard a particular message and he became really convicted that he was the one talent guy, that he had a talent and it wasn't doing any good. He felt like he was simply burying his talent with no return. He left his church job and started building businesses. Well, one of the first businesses he had, he was selling cars. And he had a model whereby for every few cars he would sell, he'd give one away to someone in need. Now, you can't do that on a church employee salary, typically. But as a business person, you can. It has opened up his ability to give generously and to use his talent in a way that really makes a difference in the world. All right, let me go on here. A couple others. Uh, Greg Anderson said, there's a great resource Manisa could look into called The Thriving Christian Artist. And yes, that's a, a Facebook group, a really active Facebook group, and a podcast, The Thriving Christian Artist. Well, hey, just... Just a quick reminder, this is kind of a diversion for us, what we're doing today, but typically I'm going through questions. Keep those coming in. I love getting those questions in from you. You can share success stories that you've had or questions you have about 
how to unpack this thing we call work and how to make it meaningful, purposeful, and profitable, which we talk about a lot. So shoot those into me. You can leave an audio message if you want. There's a microphone on any of the pages at 48days.com or just simply shoot an email into me at askdan at 48days.com. So askdan at 48days.com. Now the core of this recurring question then seems to be, what is ministry work or what is godly work? You know, is it simply telling people about Jesus Or could it be showing them how to plant vegetables and then sell them at the local market? Or how to make jewelry that has appeal in the Los Angeles fashion shows? Or how about providing a $200 loan for a motorbike that they can use as a taxi to provide income for their family? Could it be turning weeders into leaders, as Jeff McManus talks about, or assisting a young couple with their taxes? Maybe ministry work could be guiding a struggling woman to be more fully what God has gifted her to be, or helping a church plan their mission trip responsibly. I mean, could it occur while teaching at a Christian university or helping someone craft their important message and get it out there in the form of a published book? Or could it be done in speaking to young people with humor to engage them, but also with a challenge to build lives of character and integrity? I mean, if your gift is singing— Could your ministry be sharing that gift to inspire and encourage those who feel discouraged? I mean, could your talent in art be used to bring beauty into the life of someone who's been blinded to God's subtle voice all around? If you're knowledgeable in health, could your ministry be helping others enjoy vibrant health to maximize their readiness to serve others well? Well, in doing those things, you know, is there not the possibility that we can work and thrive right alongside those we are serving. I have a friend, Dick Gigi, who built a shoe manufacturing plant in Peru. Now, why would that be a godly thing to do? Is he just building a name for himself? Well, it's profitable for the workers, giving them places to stay, opportunities to study and learn, time to worship and grow together. And it's profitable for Dick, providing income to pour back into other worthy enterprises. I mean, just this week, I got my January report from Kiva.org telling me that six people have made repayments on the tiny loans I provide for their businesses. Maria in Colombia repaid $1.56 of the $25 loan I provided and thanked me for helping her buy supplies for her tailoring business, including buttons, threads, zippers, and fabric. Modesto repaid $1.47 of the money provided for growing his auto repair business. Johnny repaid $0.90 out of the profits of his construction business, and Benjamin repaid $0.70 while growing his profitable garden. Now, is me loaning money to those people through Kiva.org, which I love that organization, is, is that godly or is it just me being a business guy? Well, you decide. You know, if we go all the way back to Exodus, I love this section that we sometimes overlook because we think that, well, we know what godly work looks like. Well, back in Exodus 31, it says, See, I have chosen Bezalel of the tribe of Judah. I'm not left out all, a lot of lineage there, fancying it, the son of, son of, son of, okay, of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. 
Check this out. So this is what God gifted this guy with, skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oheliab of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I've given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. I mean, those were gifts directly from God to be skilled in jewelry making, setting stones, woodworking, furniture making. My goodness. I mean, I I think we so often create an artificial dichotomy in which we divide what is spiritual and what is secular. We don't have to leave the work we're doing to go into ministry. Our work is the best opportunity we have for living out our calling and for engaging in true ministry. What we're doing on Thursday tells much more about how we can serve others well than seeing how we spend a few minutes on Sunday morning. In the book, Madeline Langall, uh, it's titled Walking on Water, she talks about, well, well I'll, I'll, just, I'll just read this. She says, the reason I shudder at the idea of writing something about, quote, Christian art is that to paint a picture or to write a story or to compose a song is an incarnational activity. The artist is a servant who is willing to be a birth giver. In a very real sense, the artist, male or female, should be like Mary, who, when the angel told her that she was to bear the Messiah, was obedient to the command. Obedience is an unpopular word nowadays, but the artist must be obedient to the work, whether it be a symphony, a painting, or a story for a small child. I believe that each work of art, whether it is a work of great genius or something very small, comes to the artist and says, here I am, give birth to me. And the artist either says, my soul doth magnify the Lord and willingly becomes the bearer of the work or refuses. But the obedient response is not necessarily a conscious one and not every one has the humble, courageous obedience of Mary. So she's saying, if you have a talent for song or art or music, whatever it happens to be, and you don't do that, you're being disobedient. Wow. Well, back in 1942, in an essay titled Why Work, it's one I go back to again and again, Dorothy Sayers wrote, how can anyone remain interested in religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. And I love the idea that making good tables is an accurate evidence of our commitment to ministry. It's that gentle blend of passion, talent, and money that allows us to be good stewards of the best God has given us and to be equipped to bring good news to everyone we meet. I mean, that's the way we do it. Well, golly. You know what? I want to revisit a little bit this issue of how we blend our passion, talent, and money. It's in the convergence of those. Those three things is exactly where we find that sweet spot that is our purpose, our calling, mission, destiny, whatever you want to call it, your zone of genius. It's in the blending of your passion, talent, and money. So if we look at those a little bit, just to remind you, 
And this is part of your assignment is to clarify these for yourself. What is your passion? What is it that you just absolutely love doing? In the old movie, Chariots of Fire, you know, Gary Liddell in there was a runner. He loved running. Well, his family were missionaries. I think missionaries to China, as I recall. And his sister, we knew, would chide him, you know, forget about that running thing. You need to come back here and do God's work, being a missionary. And Eric Liddell said that powerful line. He said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, was his running godly? Well, he had that affirmation, and it gave him an opportunity to share with people that he would not otherwise have had. It's that kind of thing when you really are passionate about something that will give you your best opportunity for ministry. Not when you bury what you're passionate about and try to do what you think is right. I mean, why? how would God call you to do something that you didn't enjoy? I mean, really, I mean, I, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and I had this fear, quite honestly, when I was a little kid that, gee, if I really submitted myself to God, you know, he'd make me be a missionary in Africa and I'd be miserable. Well, as I grew up, I grew out of that thinking, that theology, and saw how ridiculous that was. God's not going to call me to do something where I'm miserable. He's going to use the very things, the desires, the skills, the passions, the talents that he's given me. And when I use those faithfully, he's honored in a way that I could not possibly do by trying to be an imposter. Many of you know I have a beautiful piece of art here in my office done by a young guy who came to me as a young pastor. I said, okay. Now, he was struggling. No question about it. That prompted him to come in. He was struggling. I said, well, why are you doing this? Well, he had had a real dramatic change in his own life, and he thought the most godly thing he could do was be a pastor. Went to seminary, got ordained in his pastor of a little tiny church. And, of course, they were painting peanuts, as they typically do with new pastors. He was working five nights a week, at a hotel overnight as a desk clerk just to try to make enough money to keep the lights on in the little rented house that he and his wife and five children had. And I said, man, oh man, who sold you this bill of goods? And he was really taken back. He thought, well, what do you mean? I'm doing the most godly thing possible. And I said, no, you aren't. You're an imposter. You're trying to be something you aren't. You're trying to pretend you're something that God never called you to be. I said, what is it that when you're doing it, you just really come alive? He said, oh my goodness. He said, I go into a little room in our house. I lock the door. I put on Beethoven or Mozart and I paint. I said, really? Tell me about that. I mean, it still gives me goosebumps when I remember him talking about how he would paint and how he would just be in that zone, that zone of genius where he'd just come alive in there. Why well, encouraged him when he did to quit everything he was doing, including pastoring a church. For four years, he did faux finishes where he used brushes, sponges, rags on walls to create these dramatic effects. But that time period gave him instant income, unlike he had ever experienced, and also gave him the freedom to do these beautiful, beautiful pieces of art. Well, today he doesn't do faux finishes. He doesn't paint walls at all. He doesn't get up on ladders and scale. He does these beautiful, beautiful pieces of art. He gave me the one I have in my office. It's a $10,000 piece, which is pretty average for him. He's making 10 times the money he ever dreamed of. His kids all went to Belmont College, very prestigious school here in Nashville. They bought a house. I mean, all those things. 
Now here's, here's the deal. Did he walk away from his calling? No, he did not. He misunderstood what a calling was because he overlooked and buried the very talent God had given him. And he says, now he admits readily, wow, as a pastor of a little church, you know, I had a little audience. Everybody knew what I was going to say. There was nothing new there. He said, now I'm in the homes of people who have these multi-million dollar homes. I'm the artist. He says, I have way more opportunity to speak life into, to minister to people who are struggling today than I ever did as a pastor. That's the power of proper alignment, proper acknowledgement of the unique talents that God has given us. Now, I'm not an artist. I could never do what he's doing. But for him, that was his talent. And using that is his best opportunity for ministry. Well, we talked about passion, talent. What skills have you learned? What academic background do you bring to the table? What life experiences have added to your education? I mean, what do your friends say you're good at? I mean, when we have talent, it's given us to us not full blown, it's given to us as a seed that we then need to go and develop. But if you look at what it is that you're drawn to, then you ought to be able to identify, you know, what is your talent? And you can build on it, you develop that. And then the third leg of the stool is, how are you making money? Yeah, that's a necessary part of it. You know, what, what do you do that where you love it, you're great at it, the world needs it, and you get paid for it? I got a note just this morning, my three granddaughters down in Florida, and they're baking cookies and setting up along the, the nature trail where people walk through there and selling their cookies. And what a cool thing just to do something where you love it, you're great at it, the world needs it. You get paid for it. Not real complicated. Well, we hear the old adage, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. But uh, <laughs> there are other versions of that. But it's a legitimate way to look at what it is you're going to do. Now, here's, here's why this is important to look at these three legs of the stool. If you have passion and talent without money, you have a hobby. We, we can't call that a career or a business. You know, there are lots of people here in Nashville, where I live, who have passion in music and talent, but they've never figured out how to make money. Eh, you know, so they're waiting tables or whatever, but it's just a hobby. If you have passion and money without talent, you have frustration and failure pretty quickly. And if you have talent and money without passion, you have boredom and burnout. Now, how are we going to combine these if you feel like God is calling you to do something where you don't have passion, talent, or money? How could that possibly lead to anything good? I mean, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. No rhyme or reason. It can't be possible. You have to embrace your unique passion, your unique talent, and your creative ability to turn those into ways to make money. So you can't be stuck with an empty cup. Incidentally, the resource that we're giving you today, 48dayseagles.com slash make it happen. It has three components in there. And I'm really excited to be able to give this to you. Totally free. It has in there side biz freedom has ideas that you can use. It goes through the 15 hour breakdown that we reference often. And it has the video which is me talking about how we need to be serving from a full cup. You can't serve well from an empty cup. 
And you serve best by doing something where it embraces your talent, your passion, because that's going to produce money for you. And producing money is a good thing. It's the only way you can really serve well. Has to be money there somewhere. And if you produce it, and you have the effective tools to minister most effectively. Well, we are the way light and love enter the world. There's a, there's a poem. Well, I get a couple things, a couple things here. That I'm not sure how much, well, let me give you this quotation it comes from Antonio Stradivari. I always get pushback when I share this. I've shared this, I don't know, maybe three or four times over 30 years, and I always get pushback from some people. I want you to listen carefully to this, and you tell me if it's something you agree with or not. Antonio Stradivari, when any man holds twixt chin and hand a violin of mine, he will be glad Stradivari lived, made violins, and made them of the best. If my hand slacked, I should rob God, since he is the fullest good, but he could not make Antonio Stradivari's violins without Antonio. Now, is that self-serving or is that engaging the unique gift that God gave Antonio Stradivari? Well, I think it engages his gift. Now, people say, well, God can do anything. You know, God can make a you know, Lexus appear in your garage overnight. Well, I guess theoretically he can, but I've never seen it happen that way. I mean, most of the times when I want God to take, to give me something, provide something, it requires me doing something in the process. And I think this is like, now I'm going to wrap up with this. Teresa of Avila wrote this many years ago. Christ has no body now, but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Now, our good friend John Michael Talbot whose music Joanne and I have loved for years, put that to music. And I'm going to end with that. I'm going to play that. And I hope that you listen all the way through. It's beautifully, beautifully done. That's going to be our outro today. But I wanted to remind you that you've got a three-part assignment. And that is to identify what is your passion? What is your talent? How can you generate money? If you do that, you're going to be serving God and drawing others to him in your most effective way. I've got four resources. Now we're going to wrap up four resources. I just want to recommend to you. Number one, well, three of our books, one of them is podcast. The three books are thou shall prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Few books have impacted me more in my understanding of using my gifts. Well, in ways that make money than that book, thou shall prosper. Number two, Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins. And then third, Walking on Water, Madeline Lingle. Those are great perspectives on this issue of doing what I want to do, just self-glory. I mean, how do I make a name for myself? If you want to be a speaker, if you want to be an author, I mean, how do you be an author where you want people to buy your books if you aren't seemingly drawing attention to you and your message? 
But again, if your message is utilizing the gifts that God has given you, then do that. Sell a million books. My goodness. We're getting ready to just, I just got the proofs of the interior layout of the 40th, I mean the 20th, rather, the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I'm really excited about that. We should have that ready to go in the next two weeks or so here. So those three-part assignment, four resources, and here we go. Again, our resource is 48dayseagles.com slash make it happen. I'll have, I'll have the three-part assignment and the four resources and the link to this giveaway in the show notes today. You can check it out at 48days.com. Find it there. And here we go. This is John Michael Talbot singing St. Teresa's poem that I read just a little bit ago. Christ has no body now but yours No hands, no feet on earth but yours Yours are the eyes through which he looks Compassion on this world Yours are the feet Yours are the eyes to 